Welcome to Beyond This Point. I'm Gabriel Stromberg, Creative Director of Civilization. So, what is the point of Beyond This Point? The inspiration for this podcast really came about through our studio, being so inspired by those around us who we work, collaborate, and engage with. Artists, business owners, designers, and leaders of all types. We recognized the value in having access to these distinct perspectives and wanted to create a conversation that puts a spotlight on different ways of seeing, thinking, and making. While attending the Business of Design Week in Hong Kong, I spoke with Christian Corman, founding director and principal of Zeus, a design firm specializing in architecture, landscape design, installation, fashion. These guys do a little bit of everything. Founded by Christian and his partner in both life and work, Elma Van Boxel, Zeus has offices in both Rotterdam and New York. Their firm abides by the philosophy that architects must take responsibility for the futures of our cities and in the shaping of our urban environments. They see the majority of their work as urban politics, whether they're designing a bridge, a raised public park above a city, or a personal favorite project of mine, a traveling climate change exhibition that migrates along Europe's coastline, educating beachgoers about rising sea levels and other effects of global warming. Their proactive design work and activism has earned them numerous accolades, including the Public Architecture Prize in Rotterdam and the Berlin Urban Intervention Award. They are currently visiting professors at Syracuse University School of Architecture in New York and are recent authors of The New Republic, City of Permanent Temporality. Our conversation focused on the economy and politics of space. And now, let's go beyond this point. You founded Zeus with your partner, Elma Van Boxel, in 2001. Uh, Elma's not just your partner in design, she's also your partner in life. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you two first met? Yeah, it was... um in the, in the university where we both uh, studied landscape architecture and there was a certain moment we, um, I was a teaching assistant and, and she was uh, taking lessons and design lessons and it was really like a lightning struck when we were sitting at the table and were talking about over a design she was making at that moment and from that very moment we, yeah, fell in love uh, personally but also definitely professionally as we decided no uh, longer than three months after we we met uh, to to start our studio Zeus Um, that's really soon yeah it was you know something we had to do Um, so you you started the studio when while you were still students yes yeah we we were getting the opportunity to um, to work on a project during our studies and well we need to have a studio to in order to do that so we even made a business plan (laughs) for that studio. What made you want to start your own firm so soon? What made you want to be independent designers? I don't know as a student you're you know you, you are independent that's nice about being a student and I guess for both thinking about a future sitting in an office working for a boss was not something we uh, aspired so uh, so you, you have a very specific design philosophy was that something that you guys connected with right away or did that evolve over time as you worked together well actually we were cleaning our archives uh, the other week and we found this this very um, business plan we created uh, 15 years ago and it actually said that we want to get rid of all the walls and barriers between all the disciplines and we really want to you know, push for an, another type of design and, and um, yeah, so I think 
some some of these intuitions, because at that moment there were just intuitions, are still driving us. You guys work in architecture, landscape design, uh, fashion, installation, very different fields, uh, many very different fields. Could you describe the philosophy uh, that kind of unites these? How do they relate to one another? Hmm. Yeah, I think we, um, we are very aware of the fact that everything which, which incorporates a form of design is spatial. Yeah. And we drew uh, once a diagram which was showing that basically the first space we're, um, we have to uh, work with is our body. And then comes clothing. It's a form of spatial, spatial relationship with the outer world. And then the next um, basically space is the interior, including all its you know, stuff, objects, furniture. Then comes architecture as the the container of interiors and then comes yeah in a way public space leading to s urban space and then there's something like we we at that moment call the kind of the cosmic space in which we simply find ourselves as part of climate as part of macro um, society as as you wish with all its maybe not so spatial but at least political borders and our philosophy is basically about constantly rethinking the relationships between those different types of borders. So some are fundamentally spatial and material, like a piece of clothing or a wall of a house. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you enter the public realm, there are many other types of barriers and, and, and borders which you can which are always in a way uh, an object of design and therefore we believe that design can actually play or intervene in politics as soon as you start to be aware that all the things in politics are also in a way spatial. They're all about density, they're about exclusion, inclusion, it's all spatial concepts actually. So, Looking at your work, you consistently use design and architecture as a means of social critique, to address politics, issues of sustainability, to promote and shape culture and community. Why is it important to incorporate these concerns in your work? Why not just focus on function and aesthetic experience? Yeah, I think um, the simple uh, answer would be that next to being a designer and profession, we're also human beings and citizens. And we cannot really distinguish those two beings uh, once we enter the office. Uh, I think that's uh, the core. The other thing is that we, in a certain moment we really felt, in a way, embarrassed being a designer um, as somebody who's thought adding aesthetics to the environment. As we were seeing basically like, so the crisis we have just faced or other crises which we are facing, that we cannot just focus on aesthetics. There's too much going on. You feel you have a responsibility. Yes, I think we, have, we all have a responsibility. And whether you're a nurse or a designer or an, uh, an advocate, everybody has a responsibility. It's not just it's not just a job for us. It's a state of being in that sense. At the Business of Design Week, a lot of the events I've attended, um, there's a common theme of design shaping the future. Uh, do you see responsibility as being a huge part of this? I think so, yeah. The future is 
one big opportunity or a risk. And um, there's no word for crisis in Chinese. It has two signs, risk and opportunity. And if you look at the future, then if you have to believe the media and newspapers is just one big risk. But on the other side, it's also an opportunity. That's the interesting uh, thing about uh, Chinese semantics. There's no one answer to that, to the future. And therefore, design can sometimes flip risk into opportunities. And I think that's, I don't know, responsibility is also a great thing if you want to consider this then to work on if, if you can constantly manage it through all, all of the projects, whether they're small or big. This idea of uh, the designer's role being that of uh, an activist, uh, a cultural shaper, a cultural influencer, social critic, uh, these seem very abstract. How do these concepts inform the choices you make, uh, materials, process, production? How do they translate into tangible design? Yeah, I think there's multiple levels of critiquing. Um, basically, when we just started the office, uh, we, we didn't have any clients, nobody anyway waiting for our critique. So then uh, the easiest thing you can do is write things down. So that's uh, boiled down in, in some essays and manifestos. And then at a certain moment, we wrote a book. Republic, which was a kind of bold manifesto about our position in society and about our beliefs as, as designers. And then at a certain moment we, we felt the need of materializing this kind of critique because otherwise it's just academic clouds. So do, you, do you see these two worlds having equal importance, uh, kind of the, uh, the communication of your ideas, the formation of your ideas, and then the manifestation and physical design? Yeah, I think we the, the the latter became more and more important because we felt that we were able to create or have a bigger audience or create a more public awareness of things and critique as soon as you put them into materiality. And that can be very simple things like, uh, well, we are in a, just next to our studio, there was a a vacant parking lot and we thought well it's a beautiful space actually but nobody sees it and we can of course we, we read art articles about it and um, did lectures but the soon we put a piece of furniture on this vacant parking lot then all of a sudden it became manifested as a, as a potential urban space and, and at that moment we felt that okay you can have a a base of critique, but you, if as soon as you are able to flip this into an opportunity, uh, then it becomes productive in a way. And maybe not as a critique as such, but as a, based on critique, you can really uh, materialize that uh, critique. And so I think there's all kind of stages in which we form, have intuitions, then start to more theorize those intuitions, do research, we always do a thorough research before we just scream out loud. And then, bit by bit, we're more and more manifesting and materializing this critique. Experimentation is also an important part of your process. Uh, you're building a, a test site, a laboratory in Rotterdam. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think um, also in relation to the uh, former question is, we don't have yet the, the clue of how to solve all these big problems. They're, they're facing it. So 
One approach is uh, like our ancestors did for decades is make a blueprint of a society, make a blueprint of a city, build it and well, hope it, it, it works. But in a lot of uh, situations it failed completely. Like modernism in that sense, in, in urban sense has failed like major in, in, in how they um, Desintegrated all types of functions, which were, uh, which are in a way uh, in and in um, interrelated. Uh, also, skill issues like f completely forgetting about a human skill. Not saying that the human skill is the only skill, but there's multiple skills. So, some of these blueprint ideas we really had to ditch because. Um, we, we just saw, we, we analyzed that it didn't work. But then, okay, what's the alternative? Um, we can't add another, have another blueprint, because then we would uh, fail directly. So what we actually came up with is looking at, uh, for instance, um, software development. Um, software, once it gets launched, they first do a very lean beta version. Just send it out, test it. And then by um, user integration and, and basically a feedback loop you're creating with the environment, with all the complexity which surrounds a intervention, you become more and more aware of what, what it actually does. And then you can launch an, an upgrade and an upgrade and an upgrade. So this kind of iterative, iterative process, we wanted to basically also um, use for urban development. And that's a hard thing because urban development always includes capital, big money, a lot of politics. Um, so again... Be beta testing uh, architecture with an urban environment, that sounds really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, it's just a test. Um, but anyway, we, that's, that was our very belief that that, that should be the way uh, to um, get out of our at that moment financial and, 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 and bank crisis and also urban crisis because we faced a lot of vacancy for instance so basically the whole let's say the business case of the city we lived in was bankrupt so we really had to come up with something which was both both on a financial level political level and design level um, a test and every little test we wanted to do had to have those three components a good design mm -hmm. a good alliance of stakeholders of people who are interested and willing to put their power and their will in it and a business case so we started really small again with a piece of furniture then a, a shop uh, storefront and then a building and then a bridge and now a whole city district and so the test site is actually really started small with the idea we just have to start in something like we call permanent temporality. Um, everything we do is basically temporal, but if we become aware that all these temporalities lead up to a more and more permanent condition, then we can start to play with this idea. So that, that's the idea of the test site. And it, in, it's one big experiment. But not just, just an experiment for the sake of the experiment, it's an experiment to build intelligence, knowledge, and into a research and development um, 
in, in real time, in real life. Do you, do you think that having the freedom to fail um, is a, a key part in uh, achieving success? Absolutely. I think uh, having the creative destruction is, is, of course, one of the biggest drivers of design and, and arts and maybe human life and learning in, in every sense. So, yes, uh, if you don't fail, then we never succeed to really become aware of, of our influence, actually. Everything we do has consequences and it's everything, especially the, the urban environment, is so complex. You, you're, you cannot be more than aware than of all the influence you have once you change something in that spatial configuration. So it's... Um you mentioned the three components of a successful design were um, the design itself, uh, the business aspect, the stakeholders, right? Yeah. yeah. Just politics. We say politics. Well, well, just focusing on the design and the, and the business, um, how do those one? How do those inform each other? And and two, how do you how do you achieve like the perfect balance between those two things? And what is that perfect balance? Hmm. So this, this being the business of Design Week. Yeah. <laughs> for for the lecture I will be giving, uh, I I added politics because without politics, things are just business, and then they're just about a part of society. And we always like to see all the intervention, at least in the urban realm, as part of a societal change or a societal addition. Or, uh, anyway, the, in order to have a, a design, it always comes with its own economy. And the um, economy can be really narrow and, and, and clean. If you have a client who has a budget, and you just have to uh, comply to the budget, that's, that's okay, that's easy. But um, we came up with this whole uh, approach when we entered the building we have our studio in already for 15 years. It was completely empty, vacant. Um, it was a triple A location, it was next to the central station. So um, how is it possible that a, a, a building of one million square foot is empty among, amongst other buildings of this kind of uh, scale also being vacant, while at the same time um, having a lot of plans of adding even more volume into the city. So something was wrong in that kind of the economy of, of, of the uh, existing situation. So we thought simply about the building as, as a potential local economy and we only had the time frame of four and a half years because they want to demolish the building, and uh, which is now called the Schieblok. They gave us four and a half years before they would demolish it, and you can test whatever you think is necessary to test. And we set up a business case, which had it break even within the four and a half years, and then we worked on all the parametrics of the Excel sheet we designed for the building to have the minimum amount of investments was 1.5 million uh, with the maximum output in terms of uh, diversity of uh, businesses who could work in the building. So we had 85 companies paying the lowest rent possible for four and a half years, well, at least giving us uh, uh, not a debt on our account. And 
and it totally succeeded. So it's the fullest office building currently in Rotterdam still, and we are already seven years ahead now. But therefore, if you want to accomplish something in 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 design, mostly in uh, in the city, and it's not just always about making the fantastic aesthetic design. Mm -hmm. It's also designing how the business case behind it works, and then you might make other choices than just on aesthetic, but an aesthetic purpose. I mean, often these things are seen as so separate and often in opposition to each other. I know a lot of designers that don't even want to deal with the business part of what they do, but it seems that your firm, you see business as part of the design, as an extension of the design philosophy and the design process. Yeah, absolutely. I think we don't want to be naive designers or working in our own atmosphere. It's, it, we, we like to work in, uh, in reality. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the, the sense of reality always comes with a kind of sense of economy and a sense of uh, politics as well. And a sense of economy starts with knowing how you can uh, really work with the, its complexity. And, and, and especially as we like to test a lot of things, and we want to um, also not just rely on subsidies or we, we always try to find a way to involve people and once they get involved financially they are truly involved that's there was basically the the reason to start uh, crowdfunding for the bridge because we thought it's not just uh, financing the bridge it's also creating ownership and ownership has a skill and skill has a purpose in the um, urban interventions we do. So once you have a major public infrastructure but owned by 10,000 people, then it becomes another type of infrastructure. And, and so it's, it's really, again, materializing also the business case in that sense. So shrinking down the, the big building into 85 segments, which all work together, or um, making the bridge into 10,000 pieces. I think it's interesting. Um, the idea of connection is a, is, a, is a huge part of your work. It's something that, uh, that shows up again and again in your projects. And so it seems to me that the crowdfunding model is, is, is perfect because it has such a sense of connection. People have a connection to the final product because they, they helped materialize it. Absolutely. I think it's, 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 it worked for us in, in this um so a connection seems to be an important concept in your work. It uh, comes up in one way or the other, whether um, philosophically or, or physically in almost every project that you do. So in, in that way, crowdfunding seems um, an obvious uh, choice, an obvious uh, format to utilize. Um, crowdfunding creating connection. People have a, a sense of ownership because they help materialize the project. Yeah, absolutely. I the crowdfunding came um, through different lenses, I, I guess, for the project in Rotterdam. The one was uh, the bare need for money. <laughs> um, so uh, it was 2010. We were still in big crisis in the world, but also in Rotterdam. Um, we felt that something had to be done in, into the district. We were just had this... Um, building renovated and some of the public spaces being activated. We, we need a new, bigger intervention. Um, and it, uh, 
well, we, we, we thought of this bridge and yeah, but how to fund finance a bridge? Uh, well, we, we couldn't ask the municipality or a bank to give us that money. So simply I think thinking, that, I think that might be the punchline of a joke somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's I think it's um, basically uh, where, where where's the money? We, we knew that there was money, but how to find it, where to find it. And then we thought, well, the other way around, like if everybody just has his share and we divided the bridge we want to make into 17,000 planks and naively calculated if everybody would contribute 25 euros, then we would be able to finance the whole bridge. So that basically that was the, the first concern. The second was the area we were working in was owned by nobody. Nobody really concerned about uh, what what happened there. It was complete ignorance. So we needed to find a way to make people aware of the fact that there was in the middle of their city, there was a place, uh, a blind spot, which could actually be owned, should be owned by the city, by the citizens. So therefore, um, thinking of materializing the financial effort into a materialized plank, a wooden plank with their name, their tweet, their thought on the plank, would help identify or giving identity to this part of town. And not a singular identity, but a plural or multi-level identity. Um, I think uh, another thing that's notable about about this project and this uh, and its utilization of crowdfunding, it's a it's a huge power shift. Uh, if you think about how um, architecture and uh, the shaping of urban environments usually happens, it's uh, it's really expensive. It's usually uh, uh, private sector, big money, or um, uh, you know a public work. Um, this is uh, an instance where, where where people made that happen. That's pretty new, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, I think. It's, it's part of a larger um, movement, if you wish, uh, which is uh, like the bottom-upization of society. <laughs> so the word bottom-up, pop-up, and, and do DIY is, of course... Uh, it's, it's DIY t taken to a new level, I think. Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> that's also our critique of bottom-up, and sometimes we are typecast as bottom-up urbanism, but it's absolutely not true because yes of course we we are not the official authority or to do these kind of things not traditionally we're not big uh, a big 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 actor but we are aware that we are part of a larger public the public which is represented by politics is also uh, represented by big companies in a way or um, supplied so but public has no institution in that sense anymore. Government, you know, they, they are retreating and retreating. So what's the new platform? I hate that word, but by lack of another word, what's the platform for public? It's, it's, it's the digital realm. Yeah, well, that's one answer. But there's also a physical, there's also a more, maybe a kind of philosophical or theoretical platform in which people want to be connected again but there's uh, so there's a, you could say there's a need to address this platform and it's not just bottom-up because bottom-up for me for us is, is really 
the small scale initiatives which are always in a way temporal and, and too too small to really you know go to go through the power uh, barriers which you have to uh, face so we believe that combining the top-down knowledge issues and awareness and power structures with the energy and the temporality and the initiative from from the bottom and from citizens and, and institutions which are working on a day-to-day basis combining that in a in a in a powerful way that's what we actually have been trying to do with the test side to find that level which is really in between this bottom up and top down I know in your mission statement, you, you mentioned that um, you see what you're doing as uh, almost a correcting uh, a trend where a lot of architects were, are focusing on uh, very, are very market focused and uh, you are wanting to be more public focused. So do you see this as, as, uh, as kind of bringing things back into balance? <laughs> there will be a huge responsibility in the task because it's hard to counterbalance the the aggressive market forces in that sense, but I think by being aware that there's more than market and you know kind of exclusive products which market is mostly producing, um, addressing this with projects which for us matter more and have a, a, an, a bigger public and social awareness uh, is for us very important because again with retreating governments and more more firm uh, addressed crisis happening right now we, we feel that there there should be more uh, work on, on, on these kind of issues which are, are hard to solve with market logics market logics generally are short-term exclusive and and have basically one target and it's making profit mm-hmm. And, and all these things are not working in a realm where we are addressing long-term issues for big public, which are inclusive. Those those have complete different logic behind them, and, 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 that's and different value systems too. Absolutely, different value systems. That that's why at certain moment we addressed half of our work. So one half of our work is solicited architecture, solicited projects for clients. When the phone rings, we say yes or no. Uh, but the other half of our work is uh, basically the, the no, no client, no budget, no um, no real target, but, but an awareness um, that these things should be addressed and should be turn into projects and those projects the unsolicited projects um, are those which try to address this 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 field which is basically unaddressed by most of the architects we know well let's let's talk about some of your current and upcoming projects uh, you have a you have a project in New Jersey Marseille and Rotterdam location uh, local culture, local history, uh, these are such a driving force behind uh, your approach and your design solutions. How did your process differ between these, these different projects? Did, did the location in, at all inform the, uh, the choices that you made? Yeah, I think that's, that's a fundamental issue uh, we always have to face as, as uh, working on these, these different contexts. 
uh, because Rotterdam, we the, the project there, we we live and working on a day-to-day -day basis. So we know it in its very veins, and we know every little square centimeter and everybody who's part of that um, context. So we were never would never be able to replicate the kind of thoroughness of that project anywhere else. We are aware of that. But we also aware that some of the strategies we tested and, and um, succeeded to make them work in, in, into this project, to transfer them to other locations and then using other local actors, real local actors, to inform that process, to inform, let's say, the local values, the uh, local lines, the um, yeah. Well, I, I would imagine street. that um, like Rotterdam and New Jersey are so culturally different. <laughs> How did you respond to this difference? Um, yeah, so we're talking about Europe and America. Uh, Specifically the, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, but you could also say Rotterdam is the New Jersey of, of the Netherlands. So we're this kind of, always have this kind of second city syndrome. So New Jersey, next to New York, always has this second state syndrome. And um, in that sense, uh, they're, they're in a way also comparable. It's also inherent, um, kind of has a big industrial history, also work, workers mentality. Um, also in a way, Republican and liberal in that sense. So um, in that sense, politically, and, and, and socially they are, they are comparable. There also has been a kind of uh, constant neglection of some of these critical issues like uh, social inclusion or uh, cl climatological awarenesses and all of a sudden these kind of second, second syndrome cities or states um, seem to have a vitality to reinvent themselves because they're not overly identified already and that's interesting it's kind of um, a weak identity a more weaker identity which is maybe more easy to to still shape you cannot completely reshape new york or amsterdam but we we can more experiment with places like rotterdam new jersey that's that's basically a, a, a belief but there's huge cultural and political differences, of course. And uh, what, about, what about history? Hmm? What about history? How does uh, history fit into your process? How do you deal with it? Um, well, history is, is in that sense uh, fundamental for understanding the current and looking into the future. There's, it's history is really the, the base for the future. It's it's maybe very obvious, but. The more and more we are aware of the successes and failures of the past, we can see if we can, in a small evolutionary step we can contribute to, can add a success more than a failure. But then you really have to know what failed. For instance, um, our ancestors tried to build berms and dikes in New Jersey, in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. and they didn't succeed because they want to um, make farmland of a marshland. And they could have known, because in, in, in Holland they um, have used other tactics to 
make the land productive than they tried in New Jersey. So they failed and failed. And uh, one, well, constant uh, punchline we used, we want to not uh, step in the same trap as our ancestors. So we learned from the history uh, uh, of, of intervention uh, there. But also history understood as time. I think time itself is, is well, the fourth dimension, and it's not, it's not just what's happened, what, what happens after or before the project. No, the project is also about time, because most of our projects at least take 10 years in order to succeed, or in order to really um, become adult. Or, uh, and therefore, every little step is one. And so time becomes also an object of design for us. And um, so we used it a lot. Further exploring the topic of history, you had mentioned before uh, that modernism failed. There are numerous movements throughout history that have similar philosophies, modernism being one of them. Do you see what you're doing as an extension of modernism? Um, or is it something new? I think we, we cannot put ourselves aside the evolution and, and history, historical um, uh, progress. So we are always part of modernization as such, but I think you have modernization and modernism. And modern, modernism was in a way uh, quite radical and, and also uh, in a way dogmatic about its principles. And I think what we try to differ from modernism in that sense is not to be dogmatic, but to put ourselves to the test as well, constantly. So put our beliefs to the test. Are there any other uh, design movements uh, or in, in architecture and design that you feel an affinity with? Well, we, we are, of course, inspired by a lot of them. Um, also, starting with the utopian thoughts of the 60s, we... we um, I think like, of uh, Archigram, the, the, the metabolists, yeah. the futurists. Yeah, that, that's all uh, big, big heroes. And also um, thinking of a new Babylon, um, thinking of uh, indeed Archigram, they, they already proposed something like a walking city, like a, a constant movement of stuff. Um, and I think they, 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 they symbolized or they manifested this, this, this theory visually, very powerful. Uh, and I think we can use that, their, that intelligence, that, that thought to turn it into something real. Because we believe that, that currently with the current technology and current awareness and also the fragmentation of both uh, space and time, we are in excellent position to think of this um, the city which is constantly changing and which is walking in a way, which is never standing still. And, and that every, every part of the sequence of the, of the project is part of, of the evolution. And so therefore, how can we go one step further than, than our, um, our heroes, than 
turning that into real projects and into real processes. And I think currently the technology, and especially with um, also the, the, the media technology, which is needed in order to do this on a massive scale, uh, is there. And, um, and yeah, I think that's, that for us uh, is a very exciting thought. I think one of the defining characteristics of some of these movements um, was this belief in, in utopia, this uh, optimism. Mm. And I know that part of your mission statement is, is definitely um, positivity is a very important thing. How do you stay positive and optimistic um, in the midst of uh, such issues as um, climate change, environmental issues, economic disparity? Mm. I mean, these are, these are challenges that you have to face just working in the realm that you work in. Things that you have yeah. to consider. I think um, first we have to be again aware, uh, taking taking the, the Chinese notion of of, of uh, crisis into uh, into uh, mind. That a crisis is, is again a risk and an opportunity, and we we are more on the opportunity side than on the risk side. Um, so it's 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 a risk as we are calling it a risk as far as we, as we are identifying it as a risk. So it's first about identification of, of risk, but also of opportunities. And not as just market opportunities or just design opportunities, but simply opportunities to, to change things um, for their own benefit. Change things which maybe, may were, maybe were not such good ideas uh, in the end, like a very modern, modernism-influenced city block on an infrastructure, maybe not the best way to generate urban life. Maybe we need to add something there. Um, so some some of these, let's say, crises we see, like vacancy in, in cities or climate change. Um, can, can we seen as an opportunity to, uh, to change things? So it sounds like you're saying that um, these challenges could possibly lead to awareness, which in turn um, would cause a design that's more relevant. Yes, absolutely. I think that, that design, once also used for the benefit of, of um, working on these crises, becomes really, really, really uh, interesting and also um, uh, in a way necessary. And design is not something which happens outside the, the realm of, of crises and, and society, but actually within the core. And look at, look at what's happening currently. It's really about it's my migration, it's climate change, it's climate migration, it's, it's all these issues. And yeah, we really have to take that into account as our Material like like also the modernists were critiquing what they found as as their um, as their reality uh, a completely devastated industrialized unlivable <laughs> unhealthy urban environment. That's why they start cleaning that out and maybe cleaned up a little bit too much. But in a way they were. Uh, finding themselves in the same position of taking a responsibility for the continuation of human life in that uh, uh, 
for the big picture and and um, and, and, and we feel the same way but on the other hand we, we also see that not a lot of designers are taking that responsibility or see it as part of their responsibility I think that's um, still a huge task to take this awareness into the design sphere half of your work is, is client work and then the uh, the other half is uh, self-initiated is it your goal to get to a point where you don't have to do client work well we only do um, client work uh, which we really like to do and that's um, of course a luxury maybe then we can pick be picky um, so the, the personal connection is still there and the, and the projects you choose yeah definitely and also it's not a it's not a burden to work for a client it's it's sometimes nice to have a have kind of uh, an, a um, rather enclosed uh, uh, description of what 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 the design aim is, and, and we we see these projects also as small arguments leading to the bigger story. And our bigger story is, of course, driven by our uh, beliefs and intuitions, and mainly materialized in our unsolicited work. But without the uh, with in the unsolicited work with. Um, in the solicited work, we feel that it's so part of reality and also being able to work with the market, which we don't want to oppose. Uh, so how can we also reform the market itself? Getting those thoughts we tested in a, in a kind of independent modus into a realm which is constructed by market logics is, is for us the biggest uh, achievement if we get some public awareness into those more privately focused projects. So the client is not the critical factor here. The critical factor is whether we are able to address public issues or not. And if we can address the public issues we think are relevant into a, a solicited project, that's great mm -hmm. and the more we are being identified with the unsolicited projects the clients will also uh, be attracted which uh, think this is important so it's it's also a way to because it sounds like even in your client work um, you're not compromising your basic philosophies no we aren't no but on the other hand it's also that we like challenges so it's, it shouldn't be too easy. Mm -hmm. If, if you only would design museums, that would make us kind of uh, bored. So we need also, let's say, this client work, which also is sometimes of a scale, which we can never achieve on our just independent own enlisted way. And, but once we get the chance to include the the findings and uh, the concepts we, we discovered in the unsolicited work into the solicited work, then we are really changing things. And that's um, if, if that feedback loop also feeds back into our unsolicited work, then, then it becomes also a kind of uh, communicating, well, discourses. Um, 
And also the 50-50% is also, I would say, a mental construction. Uh, because if I, well, we look at the whole office, there's a lot of people working also on client work, but for Alma and me, it's really important that we liberate ourselves just from the constraints of producing for, for a goal. So uh, writing a book, making an exhibition or a lecture series or uh, these kind of things liberates us uh, to, to really think and not only produce. Well, let's talk a little bit about your book. Um, how is that coming? When, when is that, is that finished yet? Well, it's, um, no, it's, it's in, uh, in, in, in an evolutionary process it's as progress. well. <laughs> um, that, so, is, is this a manifesto? Is yes. it a, um, yeah, yeah. So, it's a, is it um, a monograph? It's, no, we, we, we don't like monographs too much because it's, it's basically, again, not about us. Um, look at us kind of book, but really about um, a new milestone into our career, if you wish, or into our, you know, into our progression. Uh, when we started the office, we, um, we uh, published our own magazine, just 10 copies, but uh, at least for us a, a, a good excuse to come up with uh, stories and, and questions we would never ask ourselves or I'm imagining uh, it's a it's a great opportunity to, to reevaluate your, your process exactly, yeah did um, in, in, in doing this book and reevaluating your process did you make any discoveries uh, did you have any epiphanies mm, well I think um, again so the the, the the Republic book we wrote in 2007 was really non-funded argumentation or uh, intuitions again manifesting something we, we really believed in but now seven years later uh, and we're not Christians or Catholic but we definitely believe in the seven year stadia of, of our work that now after seven years we we have to um, also be aware that we're we are not businessmen we are not politicians ultimately we are designers I think we we went through all this stuff we did Excel sheets, we did political campaigns, we did a lot of these things, but ultimately we are uh, designers, but with an awareness uh, which uh, uh, is, is a little bit bigger than just the design realm. And I think that's what we learned, is that as, as long as we well stay uh, designers, for that's our core, it's our core quality, to uh, visualize possibilities, opportunities. Um, and, but then we have to maybe use more other intelligence uh, of other, uh, other uh, domains and disciplines. Uh, and we don't have to do everything ourselves. I think that's, uh, <laughs> there was a quite kind of tiring uh, the, uh, the last, the past seven years, we did everything ourselves. We, we run this building, we design it, we, we run this as landlords, we run a bar, we organize lectures, uh, did the media, and and that exhausted us also in a way and decreased our ability to think. And um, I think um, for that sense, in that sense, the book for us is again uh, almost an island of kind of thought again into uh, an 
turbulent uh, 15 years. If you didn't spend those seven years putting out that effort, do you think you'd be where you are today? Doing this, we at least opened up our, our perspective and horizon of the design field. And um, also kind of real deep, deep understanding of all those other domains. Really going through the Excel sheets and going through all the business and we became aware of deeper values and structures in that kind of economy. Same for politics. We uh, performed on, on, let's say, higher political stages with the aldermen and the mayors, but also with the citizens twittering our, uh, you know, blaming us from everything. So it, it, this awareness of both economy and politics, we completely integrate now in our, uh, in our work without focusing on those domains. And I think that's, the awareness is more important than actually doing it. And, um, but you never would have achieved that awareness if you hadn't done it. Exactly. Yeah. But we also know if we would add another seven years of doing all this together, then we, I don't know where we are in seven years, we might... Uh, Lose your optimism? <laughs> Lose your, absolutely. Because politics is really uh, harsh. If you, I don't know, I, I'm, we, we really adore politicians in that sense that they are able to put themselves so much into the public arena of criticism. It's really, it's, it's not like critiquing modernism or critiquing, critiquing an aesthetics. No, it's really critiquing fundamentally, fundamental beliefs and, and, and that's, it's quite hard. And um, it's rough, 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 rough arena. Same for uh, economy and, and, and business. In that sense, like if 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 we would now judge uh, developers or investors, um, then we are looking at those people in a different way than we used to do. We uh, thought they were just, you know, profitly profit-driven and and. But there's, there's more to it. We, we know it can, can cause um, really stomach aches to put a lot of money into a project and, if, and then it should work. So again, being more sensitive for, for those issues which, which are at stake when, when you're thinking of these kind of uh, projects and issues um, helps us understanding more what our position as designers Beyond This Point is created by Civilization, a design firm rooted in social change. The podcast is audio engineered by Dave West and produced by Eric Blood. Listen to more of our podcasts at beyondthispoint.design.